Hello, I'm Sammy Taylor, pastor of Mountain View Baptist Church. I want to thank you for viewing our worship service. We live in a troubled world filled with uncertainty. However, the Bible declares that peace in troubled times can be found in a personal relationship with the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. It's my prayer today that by faith in Christ alone, you'll experience peace with God and the peace of God. Now we invite you to join Mountain View Baptist Church in worship. Good evening. I'd like to welcome you to Mountain View Baptist Church to uh, our second annual Beast Feast here. Uh, we're glad you came. Uh, and on behalf of our church family here at Mountain View Baptist Church, uh, I know they appreciate you being here. And uh, I hope you had some really good food. There was really good food out there. And so uh, uh, God slacked the rain off a little bit. And so now we can begin, we can begin our worship service. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing a song as we begin. Uh, just entitled, Lord, I Need You. We're singing it a lot here. Uh, it's by Matt Mayer. And so I know you've heard it. And we need him more than anything else. And so let's worship him tonight. There's a great crowd here tonight. So lift your voices up. And let's have a good time. As we sing, Lord, I need you. Let's go. Here we go. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, and without you, I fall you're the one that drives my heart. Amen. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Sin runs deep, your grace is more, where grace is found, is where you are. Let me hear you sing. And where you are, Lord, I am free, holiness is Christ in me. Temptation comes my way. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, I
Man, great job. Clap your hands and worship this afternoon. If you'll be seated, and I welcome our pastor, Brother Sammy Taylor, as he gives you a welcome. All right. Thank you so much. Well, I want to take this time to welcome all of you. My goodness, what a what a great crowd we're here tonight. And there's some in the overflow room to this side of me. And so thank you for being here. I hope you got enough to eat. And I hope that you, you know, the rain went on by. And so we, we're in a dry place. We're going to have a good time. And appreciate you guys coming and sharing before our worship time, but we greet all of you. Thank you so much for being here. I want you, if you would, please join with me, and let's give those that prepared our food and set all this up, give them a round of applause. Would you do that? <laughs> Amen. Thank you. I tell you, they've done a great job. We thank all of those in the hunt ministry from this church and other churches. And guys, thank you so much, and we can't make it without the women, and so we appreciate all the, the help that the ladies gave. But thank you for being here. We're going to go ahead and have a prayer, and we'll continue, and P.W. will be here in just a few minutes. He's already here, but he'll be up here, and so we'll, uh, we'll continue. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for a time that we can come together uh, tonight for this event. Thank you for your beautiful creation you've made for us, you created for us, and and all the different types of wildlife that you've placed here for us to enjoy just to gaze upon and then to enjoy by partaking of the different types of foods you've provided for. Lord, and the, the excitement it is perhaps to go hunting, go fishing, whatever our sport may be. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the way you created this world. It just didn't happen, obviously. Lord, it had a great designer behind it, and we know that you're him. And so, Father, we just pray now that you'll bless our time together. Thank you for each person here tonight. We pray we'll focus in now on our time of worship. Thank you for a good time we've had together, a good meal. And pray you'll be honored and glorified as we continue tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, at this time, I'm going to go ahead and uh, introduce our speaker, Brother T.W. Norman, T.W. and his wife, Tina, and our three children. The oldest one, I believe, is here with us tonight, Titus. They uh, currently live in Harrisburg, Illinois, and he is the lead pastor for Little Chapel Church. And don't let that name fool you because I was talking to him. I believe there's 800 people who attend that church, so that's a pretty big church, but uh Y'all uh, y'all be praying for T.W. A lot of people don't know this about T.W., but he's got an illness, and it's, it's called whitetail fever. <laughs> now, some of you guys may know people who has this same illness. Uh, it starts every year about this time. It hits him mentally. He starts getting camo. You see all his pictures on Facebook. He's got camo on. You know, that's his wardrobe. And physically, I've, I don't know what it does to him, but you start seeing him go into stalk mode. You know, he just starts walking around Walmart like this right here. He was back there helping us clean up earlier, and I looked over there, and he had that mop, and he was just mopping the floor. And all of a sudden, he disappeared. And he came out from behind that table, and he had some char on his face. He done painted his face, and he had that mop. And, he was like, and 
And I thought, man, he's got it bad. So y'all be praying for him. But Brother T.W. is going to come up here in a little while. We got our praise team going to come back and do another song for us, and he'll be right up after that. I want to ask you to stand again before uh, T.W. comes, and, and we're going to sing a song. We sing also here a lot, and, and I don't know what you're going through tonight, but uh, you may have some change in, in your life, physical change. You may have a sickness, an illness, whatever, but you may have some, uh, some deeper change that you're trying to break through, and you're trying to do it on your own. Well, let me tell you something from experience. Uh, we serve a great God who is a chain breaker, and uh, we're going to sing a song tonight just entitled Chain Breakers, a Zach Williams song. You've heard it. Uh, and so he is the ultimate chain breaker. So let's sing as we sing, and after we sing, T. Deborah will come and bring God's word. So let's let's sing this song tonight. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice, still the same old lies. If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, saving. He's a prison-shaking Savior. If you got chains, he's a chain-breaker. That's right. Amen. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. There's a better life. There's a better life. You got pain. He's a pain taker. You feel lost. He's a way maker. You need freedom. Saving. He's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. You've been leaving, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. If you've been leaving, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify, testify. You believe it, you receive it, you can feel it, somebody testify. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. You need freedom, save it, he's a prison shaking savior. Clap your hands for the 
chain breaker tonight and be seated. Welcome T.W. as he comes and brings God's word to us. All right. Am I, am I on? No, not yet. I pushed it. I got a green light. I promise. Hey, there I am. All right. Awesome. Man, it is so good to be here back in Phil Campbell, Il or Alabama, not Illinois. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm still getting used to my states. I'm, I'm new to Illinois. I moved from Iowa, and, uh, and so I'm just glad to be here. By a show of hands, who was here at the Beast Feast last year? All right, so a lot of repeats. Okay, I should ask it like this. If this is your first time here, raise your hand. Woo! Come on, somebody. All right. Hey, first-timers, man, it's good to have you guys. That's a good thing. If you are happy you're here, raise your hand. This should be everybody in this place. All right. Hey, it is so uh, good to have you guys, and I know that I speak on behalf of Mountain View Baptist and the Hunt Ministry that, uh, that we just welcome you here tonight. And uh, we're, we're excited for what God has in store, for what he's already done, and for the prizes that I'm going to take home with me tonight in Jesus' name. Come on. So uh, <laughs> it's good stuff. I, uh, as, uh, as, as, as was said, I currently live in Harrisburg, Illinois. It's a town in southern Illinois. We just moved there. And like, like I said, I came from Iowa down to southern Illinois, and we've been there for about six weeks is all. And, uh, and it's great to be there. I got my oldest son with me. Titus, will you stand up and just wave your hand to everybody so they can see you? That's my oldest son, Titus. Give him a big round of applause just to see him blush. He's awesome. <laughs> He's my nine-year-old. I have a seven-year-old named Trig and a three-year-old named Taven. I'm T.W. and my wife is Tina. That's five T's. And um, it's, it was a really good idea when we were planning it out. Until we realize when you have three boys, you'll need a lot of correction. And it is impossible to say the right name the first, second, third, or fourth time you try when you're trying to bring good heavenly correction to your kids, right? And so, uh, so we have, we're all T's and life is good. But um, man, again, I'm just so thrilled to be here. And uh, you know, when, and last year I came here, I broke stuff and that was a lot of fun. But this year I just want to come and take about 20 minutes and just talk to you all about some, some things. And, uh, and I'm just really excited to do so. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer and just over this message and over what God wants to say to us. Father, I thank you for the privilege to be in your house. I thank you for the privilege and honor to, to speak and preach your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you help me do so with boldness, power, and conviction. Thank you, Lord, that your word is eternal and your promise is that when your word goes forth, that it will not return void and that will, it will accomplish everything that it was set forth to do. That was, that was recorded of your word and it's the same as your word is proclaimed. And so, Lord, I thank you that tonight your word will accomplish what it is set forth to do in the hearts of men, women, and children. In Jesus' mighty name, thank you, Father, for this night. And everyone said, amen. Okay, so I'm kind of, I haven't been pastoring all that long compared to Pastor Sammy. He's, he's been here for just 40 years, so that's just faithfulness right there. I've been pastoring for about seven years total. Before that, I was, in mission, I was a missionary. I traveled all over the world with a group called Team Extreme, breaking bricks, flipping over cars, ripping phone books, bending steel bars in my teeth. That's why I'm missing one. And, uh, and I've been all over the world, 14 different countries doing that. But I haven't been pastoring very long compared to some. But I, I, so I just wanted to share a story about my first uh, uh, visitation that I went on 
uh, with my, my senior pastor at the old church. I started off as an associate pastor, director of student ministries, and, um, and you know, in my pastor, I had a good mentor, a lead pastor that I was serving under, and he said, T.W., I want to take you on a hospital visit. And he said, we're going to go see Marilyn. And in Marilyn, she, you, he said, you have to understand her. She's a sweet old lady. She's a sweet old lady, but she's not afraid to tell you like, tell it like it is. And I said, okay, well, that's great. Let, let's go visit, let, let's go visit Miss Marilyn, Pastor Noel. So we got in this truck and we rolled over to the hospital. We got out of the hospital and we go up and we see her. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm sitting next to the, uh, to, the, to the ottoman that's beside her bed. And I notice on the ottoman, there's a bowl of cashews. And I love cashews. Anyone else love cashews? I mean, I love cashews. I mean, that is like heaven's bounty. And so I'm sitting there, I'm looking at this bowl of cashews. And, I, and this is the first time I've ever met, met, met Marilyn, so I did the, pe the pleasantries. Oh, it's so nice to meet you. You know, been praying for you, because I had been. And Pastor Noel was talking with her, because he knew her. She'd been, she'd been in the church for 40 years. And, and, and so Pastor Noel was talking to Marilyn about how things were going, and I'm just staring at those cashews. I don't even know what she's saying, because I'm looking at cashews. And, and, and I'm sitting there watching and looking at these cashews, and finally, I mean, it was just one of those things. They were talking, and I, it's just like watching TV. I got engrossed, and so I just reached over and grabbed a cashew, and I ate it, and, and it was good. And, I, and there's not, I can't get a word in edgewise because Marilyn, like he said, isn't afraid to tell anybody what she thinks. So she's telling us what she thought of every nurse that came into the room. So Marilyn was telling her stories, and I'm looking at the cashews, and I reach in and grab another cashew. And this is how this, this, the times went. We were there for 45 minutes, and every few, few seconds or so, I'm just grabbing another cashew. And by the, end of the, by the end of our time there, Pastor Noel says, well, Marilyn, it's been so good spending some time with you. I think we're going to go ahead and go. And at that moment, I'd realize what I'd done. I'd eaten every one of Marilyn's cashews. Gone. Gone. And now I'm, I'm kind of freaking out because I'm the new guy. And everybody loves Marilyn at church, and she's going to go back and, when she gets well and tell everybody how I, the new pastor, ate all her cashews in the, in the hospital. And I look at her, embarrassed, cheeks red, kind of breathing heavy, hearts pounding, and I said, Miss Marilyn, I am so sorry. And she said, well, honey, what are you sorry for? I said, I ate every one of your cashews. And she just looked at me, and she smiled, and when she smiled, I noticed she didn't have her teeth in, and she said... It's okay, honey. I done sucked all the chocolate off of them. And <laughs> oh, man. I tell you what, it didn't, it didn't happen exactly like that, but it's a fun story to get things going off. I want to start off with another story. In 1974, in 1974, a boxer that you might have heard of by the name of Muhammad Ali had an upcoming fight against an up-and-coming boxer, and he really wasn't up-and-coming. In fact, this boxer that he was going to fight had really taken the boxing world by storm. But it was a boxer by the name of George Foreman. Does anybody remember the night that Muhammad Ali fought George Foreman in the, under the hot African night? A, 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 a fight that is affectionately known and was, and was titled and billed as the Thriller in Manila. You had Muhammad Ali and George Foreman former heavyweight champion and a new heavyweight champion coming together to collide in the Africa atmosphere. It's a fight that was being billed. Muhammad Ali was over there for over a month training for this fight. Now the thing about this fight is, is Muhammad Ali at this time was well past his prime. He was no longer the flashy, shifty, quick-footed boxer that he once was in his earlier days. 
whenever he would float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. Muhammad Ali had grown a little bit older, a little bit slower. He didn't have quite as many abs, if you know what I mean. And that's where I am too, okay? That's, three kids will do that to you. Any other men notice that your wife's pregnancies just really wear you out? <laughs> I'm telling you, I still haven't recovered from the three pregnancies. My wife, she looks great. Me, on the other hand, it's just a, it's a lost cause. I like to eat. Um, <laughs> so tonight was awesome. But anyway, Muhammad Ali, he's not the fighter he once was. But he's going up against a younger, stronger, taller, faster George Foreman. George Foreman at this time is 40-0, and 0, undefeated. George Foreman at this time had recently just come off of two victories of two opponents that had, 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 had actually defeated Muhammad Ali. Other boxers that you might know, the ones that he just defeated were Joe Frazier and Ken Norton. Both boxers who had recently defeated Muhammad Ali. Nobody was giving Muhammad Ali a chance in this fight. They thought that the old washed up fighter wouldn't be able to go three rounds with the new champion. Training went on and at last the night, was, the night had come. Muhammad Ali and George Foreman met in the center of the ring and the spectators and the commentators could not help but notice just the overall size difference and the way that George Foreman looked like a menacing creature that no one could ever defeat. And before the fight even started, people had already given the victory to George Foreman. Muhammad Ali had no chance. Everybody was saying he couldn't do it. The fight was over before it even started. They went back to their corners, and as what happens in a boxing match, the, the, the two boxers had their final moments in the corners until that sound that signified the beginning of the bout would begin, and ding, the bell rang. And both, both boxers came to the middle of the ring. Both of them, in the beginning, even Muhammad Ali looked pretty good, bouncing on his toes dropping his hands, having flashes of the old Ali in his feet. And Muhammad Ali, he came out, and he, as he would float by, he'd, he'd throw out a jab, and he'd pop George, and he'd move, he'd bob his head, he'd weave, he'd punch, he'd run. And George Foreman spent the entire first round chasing Muhammad Ali around the ring. Muhammad Ali was all over the place. In fact, the commentators even said, uh, he's moving, he's running so much, he's not going to have enough gas to make it a full 15. They go back to their corners. In the first round, Muhammad Ali actually won the round. The next round and the next seven were a whole different story. Muhammad Ali, again, after the bell rang in the second round, went to the middle of the ring where he began to fight. But this time, as, as Foreman would punch, Muhammad Ali would just cover up. And eventually making his way back to the ropes, big, heavy-handed George Foreman with every punch would try to take the breath out of Ali. With every punch, he was trying to knock him senseless. And Muhammad Ali was leaning against the rope, swerving back and forth, trying to cover from the oncoming onslaught that was the barrage that was coming from the strong champion, George Foreman. For seven rounds, this onslaught is taking place. Everyone wonders, when is Ali going to fall? When is he going to slip? When is his hand going to fall? When, how can he take this type of... Use, and then the eighth round came. In the eighth round, George Foreman, by this time, he's been punching so hard and so fast and so much that he can barely lift his arms to swing another punch. 
He will punch, but his arm will fall. And he will swing, and his arm would hit, but then fall. His, he was what they call punched out. He was worn out from working so hard. And it was at this time that people saw the plan that Ali had. George Foreman, after one, one haymaker of a left hook, he dropped his hands for a second. And at this moment, Muhammad Ali came off of the ropes with a stiff uppercut, left uppercut, that caught Foreman right in the chin and snapped his head back. And when he did, his hair that was full of slit, just glistened in the lights above him. And when his head came back, Ali already had a straight right hand coming his way. And he clipped George right on the chin. And the champion fell to the mat. And Muhammad Ali, the one who, who they said was washed up, didn't have a chance, stood victorious in the center of the ring as he knocked out the current champion, George Foreman. Boxing analysts, and still you those today, as I'm talking, I'm seeing smiles, I'm seeing heads nod, because you remember this fight. My dad told me about this fight growing up. Boxing analysis and, and, and those who, who watch these fights say this is one of the greatest fights of Muhammad Ali's career. Not just in his career, but in the history of boxing. Not because Muhammad Ali won. Not simply because he won, but because he won when everyone thought he was going to lose. He won when he had lost seven consecutive rounds. He won by the greatest comeback that boxing had ever seen up to this point. Muhammad Ali won when, because in this fight, at one moment, it clicked that it was time for a comeback. Tell your neighbor, it's time for a comeback. Now listen, guys, you don't understand how I preach now. Come on, somebody. You have to, now, I am a southern preacher, all right? When I, when I need your help, everybody say amen. amen. Say, come on. Amen. Say, yes. yes. Say, mm-hmm. That's for you real southerners, all right? <laughs> now, touch your neighbor and say, it's time for a comeback. There we go. We're going to get this. And see, here it is. The more you talk to me, the more I'm going to think you, you are getting what I'm saying. So in the, in the quicker I think you get what I'm saying, the faster we're going to get out of here. Does that sound like a good idea? All right. Okay. Yes. Amen. So come on. Talk to me now. So what we're talking about tonight is the fact that for some of us here, it's time for a comeback. I want to talk about what it is to have a comeback. I feel like God has wanted to speak to some people in this room who've had things happen, who maybe you feel like in your life you've been the one against the ropes, doing everything you could just to cover up, just to make it through this day, just to make it through the week, just to make it through the end of the month, just to make it through a relationship that's hurting. Maybe I'm talking to somebody in here that your life has been just a constant fight where you're covering up, trying to make it through. I'm telling you, I feel like the word of the Lord for you tonight is it's time for a comeback. So can we talk about a comeback tonight? I want to tell you guys through the scripture another story of one who had a comeback. And this story is actually probably a growing up, it was really the story of my favorite Bible character. Not because he did anything super amazing, not because he built an ark, not because he led Israel through the, through the desert, not because he, he, he led Israel around the city of Jericho to see walls fall. In fact, this one, he probably did more things wrong than he did right. But I like this one 
because he had superhuman strength. He was a modern-day Clark Kent, Superman type of guy. Do you know who it is, Titus? Okay. <laughs> hey, I'm talking about Samson. Does anybody know who Samson is? The story of Samson. Samson. Samson is a man's man. Samson is one who, who, growing up, I thought Samson was the greatest story in the Bible because I heard about Samson and the call that God had on Samson's life to be a judge of Israel, to be a leader of Israel. And I, and I, I read the stories, I heard the stories in Sunday school, how Samson one day when he was walking alongside the road, a lion jumped out to eat Samson. And Samson looked at the lion and instead of running away, he rolled up his sleeves and said, I'm going to get me some lunch. And Samson took on a lion, and he killed the lion with his bare hands. I heard stories about how Samson would fight the Philistine armies with the jawbone of a donkey. And whenever they came at him with swords and spears, he picked up a bone, and he killed a thousand warriors with the jawbone of a donkey. I heard about Samson, and I said, Samson is the man. <laughs> I, I want to be strong like Samson. I mean, I had, I had this, this, these visions of gander about who Samson was. And like I said, not because Samson did everything right. In fact, Samson missed it more than he got it right. I wonder if there's people in here that maybe you can relate to Samson. Not because you've ever killed a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey, I hope. Come on. <laughs> but because maybe you've missed it more than you've got it right. You see, in my life, I can relate to Samson. Not because I've ever killed a lion, because I've missed it a lot. I spent years of my life missing it a lot. And I would imagine that in a room, in, in, an overflow of somewhere, probably around, well, easily over 400 people around here listening, watching, and, and you guys are seeing me, I bet I'm not the only one who's missed it. In fact, let's, let, let's build confidence for those around us so that we don't think we're the only ones. If you've missed it, raise your hand like you know you've missed it. All right? For those of you who are not raising your hands, you are officially lying in church, okay? <laughs> We've all missed it, man. We've missed it, haven't we? I mean, according to the standard that Jesus set, we've missed it. And that's the reality. Samson missed it. Samson had a, had, a, had a calling on his life, and he missed it. Like, Samson wasn't even close. <laughs> That's like, I mean, it's crazy. Like, he wasn't even close to doing it right. He blew it in a lot of standards. By all, by all, by all, by all things and, and, and the way things looked, he totally missed it. But as I said, Samson wasn't the only one who's missed it. All throughout Scripture, man, heroes of the faith, are the ones who've missed it. Moses, the great leader of Israel, the one who led Israel in, in an exodus from captivity, he missed it, right? We read about people, even in the New Testament, who spent years of their life missing it. The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, man, up until his encounter with Christ, he missed it. To the point of imprisoning and, and, and overseeing murder of Christians. He missed it. You and I, guys, we've missed it. Now help me, touch your neighbor and say, you've missed it. <laughs> and you can say back, tell me something I don't know. 
Because we all know we've missed it, man. We've missed it. That's the reality, man. We've missed it. Samson missed it. See, but what I want to talk about tonight, as I, as I said, in relation to Samson's story, but more importantly, in relation to our story, is the fact that God has redemption on his mind. And that even God says over your life, he has said over my life, he said over y'all's life, that it's time for a comeback. It's time for a comeback. You see, whether you are needing to come back or you've made the choice at some point in your life to come back, you see, the comeback trail is a trail, is a journey that every single one of us will have the opportunity to make. Maybe you've responded to that opportunity. Maybe you're here tonight and you haven't come back to your purpose. Before the night is over tonight, you are going to have a very clear opportunity to come back. And that's why we're here. Because God desires that every single one of us would come back. Say, come back. God desires that we would all come back to his created purpose for every single one of us. Because he's good. He's a good father that loves us unconditionally, that has given everything for us and has paved the way so that we could come back. As I said, Samson, he missed it. But what I want to talk about first in regards to our comeback is what we need to come back. And we're going to talk more about Samson. The first thing that we need to come back is clear vision. Everyone say clear vision. In, in Proverbs 29, 18a, it says, without vision... The people perish, or another word is to go unrestrained. That word vision, this is not going to be a revelation to anybody, but that, that word vision literally means the ability to see. Right? That's, not, that's not a big mind bender there, is it? The ability to see is what vision means. But there's a second definition into the Hebrew word of vision that we need to pay attention to, and, and that is the ability to see or the word of the Lord. How many of you guys know that the word of God over your life actually provides vision for your life? It provides clarity for your life. It provides calling for your life. It provides purpose for your life. You see, vision in the context of Scripture isn't just your ability to see. It is understanding what God sees when he looks at you. Come on, that was really good. I'm going to try this side over here. Vision in the context of Scripture isn't just relegated to what you can see, but it's truly understanding what God sees when he looks at you. That's good. You guys, you, one point for you guys, okay? But it's true. That's what vision does. True vision. True vision. Scripturally context vision isn't just what you can see, but it's truly receiving revelation of what God sees when he looks at your life. And if you're going to make a comeback, you've got to understand what he sees. You have to have vision. Now, what this scripture is saying is that when we choose, because again, the scripture says, without vision, the people go unrestrained. Another word for unrestrained in the Hebrew context, in the Hebrew scripture, is to wander. Just wandering around aimlessly. You're not restrained. You're not constrained to anything. Why? Because vision, vision gives you purpose. Vision gives purpose. You think about, an, if you're an archery hunter, does anybody archery hunt here? Okay, perfect. 
I, I, I love, bow hunting is my jam. I love to bow hunt. I love to sit up in a tree stand and chase big Midwestern whitetails with my bow and arrow. Love it. Now, I also do a little uh, uh, muzzleloader hunting, and I lived in Missouri, and I rifle hunt a little bit. Now, you guys, I mean, you guys rifle hunt all the way into August down here, don't you? I think the CO's gone, so right, just honestly? No. <laughs> I'm just playing. But you think about vision. Hey, buddy, sit down for me. Sit down. You think about vision in the context of aiming or in, 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 in context of archery shooting. If I have a target at the back of the church and I'm going to shoot it and, and, and I have the bullseye, where I want to aim, what I want to shoot, when I draw my bow back and I settle in, I'm going to allow my pin to rest on my focal point, the vision. I have to have vision to hit where I'm going to aim, Right? It's impossible to aim if I have no vision. What allows my arrow out of a properly tuned bow and a sighted-in uh, arrow or a sighted-in bow, what allows my arrow to find its mark is my ability to see, is the ability to see where I'm going. That's what vision does. If I understand that it's time for a comeback, I have to be able to see where I'm going. But more importantly than that, in the, in, in the context of Scripture, when we understand the Word of God also provides vision, when you know what God says about you, that actually points your life in the right trajectory. Does that make sense? When you know what God says about you, you become the arrow in God's bow. Hello? Am I, just, am, am I talking in plain stuff? This is good stuff, man. You become the arrow in God's bow. In other words, his purpose for your life is pulling you back and aiming you in the right direction. So it's no longer about what you desire and what you want when you understand that the vision that God has for your life is for his will to be accomplished in and through you. You come to a place of submission where you say, okay, God, I'm all yours. Draw me back and fire me into my purpose. That's understanding how the Word of God works in your life. You see, vision isn't just about what you see, but it's more about what He sees for your life. True fulfillment comes when you're fulfilling the purpose that God has for you. So we're talking about this, and, and really, so what this scripture is saying, that people without vision, they go unrestrained, they perish. What that's really saying is that without God-given direction and purpose, we lose focus of what God has declared, and we forget what he has promised, and the result is that we go unrestrained. We wander outside of our purpose. Man, I've been there. I've been right there where I've lost vision for what God has spoken over me, and I begin to pursue what I wanted in life. And I found myself, literally, guys, for years, wandering outside of my purpose, outside of my calling, outside of my promise. Why? It can simply be traced back to this one thing. I lost the vision for what he had said over me. You see, guys, this is the importance of having clear vision and understanding that you're called to a comeback. Samson now, I told you we're going to go back to Samson. Samson had an amazing God-given vision over his life. 
In fact, the angel of the Lord, the angel came to, came to his mother and, and told his mother and father about the plan and purpose that he had for Samson. He told them that Samson was going to lead a nation. How many of you guys know that's a big vision? To lead an entire nation. To lead a nation, that's what God saw. That's when God looked at Samson. He said, this is one who will lead my people. That was God's plan for Samson's life. His parents heard it. And, and, and God said that, that, that he will take the, the, the vow of the Nazarite. And, and, and with that became these, these, these laws that Samson would abide by his whole life in order to see this vision come to pass. And one of those, one of those laws was that he would never allow a razor to come to his head. He would never cut his hair. Something to protect, something to guard. How many of you guys know that the vision and the promise and the purpose that God has spoken over your life is worthy to be guarded? God's promise for you is too big, it's too great to not care about it, to not guard it well. Samson had this promise that he didn't guard, that he didn't keep safe. The vision that God has for you needs to be protected. You need to protect the vision that God has. Again, Samson has this amazing call, this amazing purpose in his life. But Samson, as I said, kind of like myself, he missed it, man. Samson had this incredible vision from God. But Samson spent his whole life pursuing what he wanted. Pursuing what made him feel good. Pursuing everything else that looked good. How many of you guys know in the world around us, there's a lot of things that look good that are no good? Come on, that was just a free one right there, all right? There's a lot of things in life that look good but aren't no good. Samson got involved with all those things that were no good. He began pursuing those things that made him feel good. Made him, he went after those things that God had said no to. So Samson found himself in, in, in a bad situation. Why? Because he never, he never, all of his life, he never truly understood what it meant to live according to what God sees over his life. Samson did incredible things, but he never did the incredible things with the right purpose. Samson, Samson missed it. Why? Because Samson was more concerned about living to fulfill himself than living to fulfill God's purpose. You see, guys, John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus is speaking, and he, but he says, but I have come that you would have life and life to the full. But let me let you in on a secret. The fullness of life that Jesus came to give cannot be, cannot be, cannot be attained through any other source than him. You can't, no matter how much you pursue the things that look good and feel good and seem good, the fullness of life, that word fullness in life, it's zoe, it literally means the absolute fullness thereof. In other words, as Jesus had came, Jesus came to give you the fullness thereof life could possibly contain. That's what he has for us. But it's impossible to get all that he has through any other source than him. He's amazing. And that's what he has for us. But what we do so much 
as we lose vision for what God has declared. And we start looking at things that seem good, that feel good, that all of these things, and we lose what God has set over us. We lose vision. Now understand, as we said, that God had a high calling and a purpose for Samson, but Samson didn't pursue God and didn't value and guard his gifting, and the enemy was waiting for the right time to come against Samson. So listen to this. I said the enemy was waiting for the right time to come against Samson, but the enemy didn't have to come get Samson. Now let me tell you what I mean by this. You see, Samson did something else that God said no to, He went and pursued a woman, and a lot of us can relate to that. (laughs) He went and pursued a woman that got him in trouble. None of you husbands, that does not apply to you. You have the greatest gift that God could give us besides Jesus, and that is an awesome wife. Amen? Now, Solomon said, who has found a wife has found a good thing, and I am a firm believer in what the Word of God says. So I am thankful for my wife, but Samson is looking for one that God didn't intend for him to be with, and the wrong woman will get you in a lot of trouble. Amen. Come on, somebody. The same thing with you women. The wrong man will get you in a lot of trouble. True story. Because God has a vision. God has a person. God has a promise for your life. In every manner of it. God loves you so much that he hasn't left a detail out of your life. Do you believe that? That's true, man. He's amazing. Samson is going off chasing women that God said no to. And Samson, again, he lost vision. And so whenever he lost the vision that God had called him to, his vision fell on the ones that God said no to. Man, that was really good. I didn't even have that in my notes. So Samson is pursuing something, someone that looks good. And if you know the story, I I don't need to go into detail. But what we see is that four different times in Scripture that Samson finds himself in the bed of Delilah. And four different times, Delilah comes to Samson, and she says, Samson, tell me the secret of your strength. Why, is she, why does she want to know? Because she was offered 11,000 pieces of silver to discover the source of the one strength who has wrecked havoc among the Philistines. She comes to Samson, and she says, Samson, if you love me, You'll tell me the secret of your strength. The first time, and Samson says, well, if you wrap seven fresh strands around me, I'll be just like any other man. So while he slept, she wrapped him up, and in the morning when the the Israelites came, she said, Samson, the Philistines were upon you. And he woke up, and he snapped the strands like they weren't even there. He went out and defeated the army. We don't know how long, how long passed, but again, he was lying in her bed, and, and, and she asked him again, Samson, you've made a fool of me. Tell me what's the source of your strength. And he, and he told her something else again, and again, the, just for the sake of time, the, the Philistines' plan to defeat Samson was spoiled, and again, she came to him and said, you've made a fool of me, Samson, what's your strength? And he says, if you braid my hair and pin it to a weaver's beam, then I'll be, I'll be just like any other man. That night, she did it. You would think that Samson would start to see things, right? I mean, hello, dude, <laughs> how thick do you have to be? I mean... It's like, this is obviously this is not the one for you, all right? She's literally trying to have you killed, so this is not a good thing. Samson wakes up in the morning after telling her for the third time a lie about the source of his strength. 
he wakes up again with his seven, like that doesn't happen by accident, right? His hair is put in braids, and there's a pin into a weaver's beam. Oh, I tripped, and that happened while I was sleeping. No, dude, your girlfriend is crazy, all right? So, <laughs> true story. I've had one. All right, it's nuts. All right. She was nuts, man. She was out for him. But he wakes up, guys, and I'm wondering why, how in the world can Samson miss it so bad? How can he not see that this one is no good for him? fourth time he lays in her bed she says samson seriously you gotta tell me what's going on or we're done and so samson finally says no razor has ever touched my head again i just wonder samson what are you thinking here (laughs) but then i think about my own life and i wonder if this might relate to some people in here with this revelation and this understanding that the reality, guys, of sin is that it's blinding. Sin is blinding to the consequences of sin. The Word of God says very plainly in Romans that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. We read that and every one of us are like, dude, I don't want death. I want eternal life. I want what God has to offer, but what sin does is sin doesn't seem like sin when you're in the middle of it. When you're living your life to fulfill the desires of sin, you don't realize that you're in it. It's hard to see. Guys, I found myself in this situation. Again, without going into a lot of detail and for the sake of time, Man, I grew up in an amazing home, a Christian home. Parents were youth pastors and always involved heavily in ministry. I knew what it was to have a relationship with God. I've made a decision at a very early age to follow Christ. But things in my life, as I grew older and started pursuing my vision and my dreams and my purpose, do you understand whose vision that I was pursuing? Mine, mine, mine. Going after what I wanted. To have a professional football career. That's all I wanted. And I went to the University of Illinois and, had a, had a, and suffered a career-ending injury. And I sat in a doctor's office and he looked at me and he said, T.W., there's no possible way that you're ever going to play football again. In fact, as your doctor, it's my goal to make it to where one day, if you ever have kids, that you'll be able to play with them. I was 19 years old. That was a really hard thing for a 19-year-old to hear. I heard, what I heard is everything that I had given my life to is gone just like that. I got mad and I got angry and I looked at the ceiling just like I was looking at God face to face and I said, I can't believe you would take away the only thing I've ever loved. I don't want you anymore, I'm done. At 19 years old, I made a conscious decision to run away from God as hard and as fast as I could. At 19 years old, and guys, and I'm not exaggerating a thing, instantly I became an alcoholic. Like I made a choice. It was a conscious choice to go to things. You see what happened? I lost vision. I lost God-given vision, God-given direction. And so I started looking for things that looked good. I started looking for things that felt good. And pretty soon, guys, that wasn't enough. So I started using drugs. Again, totally lost vision. 
After using drugs, I realized that drugs were expensive. So I began dealing drugs. My parents are pastors in our church back home. I'm a drug dealer in college. I've lost vision. But here's the thing, guys. In the middle of my sin, it didn't seem sinful. Because that's what sin does. I didn't wake up every day saying, I'm on the road to destruction. I'm on the road to death. I'm on the road to, 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 to being lost. I'm, I'm missing it. I didn't wake up like that. Samson is in the enemy's camp. And she's trying to kill him. She's trying to take away everything from him. And we wonder, how dense does he have to be? And I wonder, have you been there or are you there right now? Are you in a place that, that, that you're in a place that, that you don't understand is really, is really hurting and destroying your life? Are you on the path that leads to being lost? Are you on the path that leads to death? Guys, this is real stuff, man. This is what happens when you lose vision. And this is where Samson is. Samson is laying in his, this woman's bed. No razor has ever touched my head. That night he falls asleep on her lap. She calls one of her servants and he comes in with a razor and he begins to shave the hair off of Samson's head. The gift given to him that Samson was entrusted to guard, was entrusted to take care of. You see, guys, when we lose vision, we won't hold dear the gifts that God has given us. Samson, he told the secret, and she came with a razor, and his head was shaved, and then the morning came. Let me just say this. The morning will always come. Morning will always come. And the symbolism that I'm joining right here is this very thing. Eventually, what you do in the dark will be exposed in the light. That's what Jesus said. What you do, what you whisper in secret will be, will be shouted on the rooftops. You see, eventually, the consequence of sin will be paid. It will happen. Morning came, and she said, Samson, get up. The Philistines are upon you. And the word of God says that Samson arose and, and said, I'll go shake off the Philistines like I have every time before. And he went out, and he realized when he began to fight that something was missing. It wasn't like the other times. You see, morning came, and the consequence of his sin caught up with him. And those who came to him, they captured him, and they bound him. They chained him up. They stripped him of his clothes. They took him to the grinding mill where Samson was imprisoned. And the first thing they did was they took a hot iron, a hot poker, and they gouged out his eyes. You see, Samson, up to this point, lived his life able to see, but never seeing the full vision that God had for him. And now, and now, the reality of being spiritually blind has manifested in the physical. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? Samson now has lost his sight. You think about Samson, this great warrior. This great warrior who God had amazing plans for. 
that God had vision for, that had God-given vision for his life, this one who had incredible potential. And let me say, every promise of God is, is, is full of potential, and in, in, in your obedience to his promise is, is, the, is the missing piece. If you are obedient to what God has said, the potential is amazing. But when you live your life disobedient to the call and promise of God, the result is you might wake up one morning in the grinding mill. Samson, he's missed it, guys. He's fallen. He's missed his purpose. He wakes up morning after morning, full of shame, full of shame. His blind, he's blinded, he's imprisoned, he's shackled, he wakes up, He's not even clothed, just being open and honest, exposing his shame, because that's what sin does. Sin will always lead to shame. And, 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 and the result of shame is, is that eventually we say, shame causes us to say, I'm not worthy of what God has. Shame is self-punishment that would try to push you further away from God. Samson is waking up in the middle of shame, back to the grinding mill. He has whip masters over him who are cracking the whip on his back when he's not moving fast enough. You picture this, Samson, the great warrior for a nation, is now reduced to an enslaved captive who now spends every single day grinding and pushing a mill. Samson's life literally is reduced to walking in circles story are you guys getting the picture of how samson missed it he had an amazing calling there was an incredible vision but samson missed it and now samson spends his life pushing the mill walking in circles being yelled at being ridiculed being made fun of He's pushing, he's working, he's a slave, he's lost it. His family wonders where he is. And I wonder that if Samson's mind just goes back to the if-onlys and the should-haves. I wonder if Samson, in the middle of his grinding, in the middle of the pushing, said, if only I'd have listened to my mama. That's a plug for you mamas, because I know you're always right, okay? If only I'd have listened, because you know his mama told him what the angel said, you right? You know when he was a baby that his mama was saying, Samson, God has big plans for your life. God's got a calling for you to lead a people, to lead a nation. And so Samson has to remember the words that were spoken. If only I'd have listened to what my mom said. I should have never, I should have never got involved with that woman. I should have never gone there. I should have never even looked at that place. I wonder if there's things in your life. Are there areas that you find yourself circling the mill with your mind full of the if-onlys, if only the should-haves? I should have never talked to that girl at the office. If only I never would have went there. If only I never would have said that. If only I should have. If only I should have. If only I should have. See, that's what regret does. Regret builds and it produces shame. Guys, I've been there. Over two years, living my life as an alcoholic and a drug addict, I was there. I was pushing the grind mill because eventually morning comes. Morning comes. 
and you're faced with the consequences of the decisions, and the reality is, it happens. See, some people, you're involved in relationships right now that are sinful relationships. That you're crossing lines that you shouldn't cross. That you know you shouldn't cross, but right now it feels good. It seems good. One day morning will come. You're going to find yourself in a position where you're saying, if only, if I should have, I could have all of these things. I was there. And in my lowest point, I picked up my phone to call my mama, because I'm a mama's boy. I'm a big six foot three, 290 pound mama's boy, big time. Mama makes everything better. I called my mom's phone, and, and as it rang, I was, I was weeping and crying, and my dad picked up the phone, and he said, hello, son, what's going on? And I said, dad, can I talk to mom? And through my tears, my dad could hear me, and he said, TW, what's wrong? Because I've got a good father. I've got a good dad who loves me, who cares about me, and, and he could tell that his son was hurting, and he said, TW, what's wrong? And I said, dad, I'm messed up, man. I'm messed up. So I've spent days, weeks, months circling the mill. I said, Dad, I'm messed up. You see, remember my dad's a pastor? My dad has no idea the things that I'm involved in. He has no idea the type of life that I'm living. So I said, Dad, I've got some things to tell you. It's going to be hard for me to say, but it's going to be even harder for you to hear. And I just told my dad everything. I just spilt it, told him about everything I was doing wrong. Because I, I was a good pretender, man. I knew what it was to go home and fake. I knew what it was to go home, go to church, raise my hand, close my, close my eyes, bow my head, do all, go through the motions. I, I, I would assume that there's people in here that you know what it's like to go through the motions. That's me, man. I was that guy. I was circling the mill, enslaved in sin, going through the motions. And I told my dad everything. The alcohol, the drugs, I was a womanizer, all these things. And when I was done telling my dad everything, I waited. I waited for what I was sure was going to come. Because how many of you guys know we live in a society, we grow up in a place that when we do something wrong, we're under this thing that we deserve to be Help me, somebody. We deserve to what? Be what? Punished. We deserve to be punished. I deserve to be punished. And it, like, there was a part of me that understood I need to be punished because what I, was, what I did was wrong. Guys, whenever there is sinful actions, when there are things done in sin, we deserve to be punished. Every one of us in this room deserve to be punished. That's the reality. You deserve punishment. I deserve punishment. You deserve judgment. I deserve judgment. It's how it's supposed to be. And I'm waiting for my dad to give me what I deserved. Because I'm just circling the mill, man. I've lost vision. I forgot how whenever I was a young boy, and a pastor looked at me, and he, and, he, and he looked at me, and he called me out, and he says, God has called you to preach his word. At seven years old, I remembered that. And then I, then I remembered at 14 years old, whenever I was at a, 
I was in a small church with all of my, all my friends from FFA, and the pastor stops his message, and he looks at me, and he says, T.W., stand up. And he says, as I'm talking, God showed me that he's going to send you around the world to preach in stadiums, and you're going to see thousands of people saved. At 14 years old, I heard that word. I, I, I heard about the vision. I heard the word, and, I, and I, my actions were saying, I don't care about what you see. I want to do what I see, and I'm telling my dad the things I've done, and I wait for his punishment and all I hear is silence on the other end of the line and then finally after what seemed like forever I heard my dad and my dad my hero was crying my dad's heart was broken because of things that I was choosing to do and then the most amazing thing happened through my dad's tears he said, T.W., son, I want you to know this. I love you. <laughs> but more importantly than that, God loves you. I said, Dad, how can God love me? How can God love me? I've ran away. I've made a choice to leave and to never look back. How can God love me? And he said, T.W., that's mercy and that's grace and that's who he is. Mercy and grace isn't just a thing. Mercy and grace is a person. Come on, somebody. Mercy and grace is the Son of God, Jesus in the flesh. He is mercy. He is grace. And because he is, he extends those things freely. I said, Dad, how can he love me? How can he forgive me? That's mercy and that's grace. I said, Dad, I don't know what to do. See, guys, I was grinding I had shame I had all the stuff that sin produces and I'm enslaved to it because that's what sin does sin creates slaves sin creates slaves and that's what I was and my dad said T.W. I want to pray for you I said dad I haven't prayed in two years but if it'll help let's do it my dad prayed to be honest I didn't feel any better but we got off the phone. We got off the phone and I looked at the ceiling just like I did two and a half years earlier and I looked at God through my ceiling and I said, God, look at me. Look at me. I'm a mess. I'm, I've missed it. You see, we talked about earlier, we've all missed it. We've missed it. Samson had missed it. But let me tell you something. As Samson is grinding the mill, can you imagine the voices that are speaking to him? Samson, you've missed it. Samson, you're worthless. Samson, you're a loser. Samson, you'll never do anything. Samson, 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 because that's the voice of the enemy. The voice of the enemy will continue to speak to keep you away from your purpose. You understand this. The enemy can never steal what God has given you, but he will do whatever he can to keep you from becoming everything that God has, says you are. And he'll lie to you. Samson, all the things he was saying. But I believe, but check this out. The greatest verse in the story of Samson, and I'm coming to a close, the greatest story, the greatest verse in the story of Samson is found in verse 22. 
But let me give, let me read 21 to give context, and I promise, five minutes and then I'm done. Then the Philistines seized him, they gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. This was his reality, but verse 22 says this, however, everybody say, however. I want to tell you that no matter where you find yourself, God looks at you and says, this may be where you are, however, I've got something better. God looks at you with redemption on his mind. God looks at your past and with redemptive lenses. God looks at your past with the purpose to redeem your future. Come on, somebody. He was lost. He was brutalized. He was imprisoned. However, the hair on his head began to grow again. So you think about this. Samson, he's lost. He's grinding. He's pushing. If only I should have. The voice of the enemy telling him everything that he's not. However, the hair on his head began to grow again. So check this out. What I believe is happening at this moment as Samson's hair is beginning to grow, his source is beginning to come back, I believe there had to be another voice that began to speak. And the longer his hair grew, I think that voice became louder and louder. The same voice that's speaking to some people tonight. The voice that's saying, I've never left you or forsake you. In your darkest place, in the place where you were grinding, in the place where you are right now, I'm right here. And the voice that said to Samson, maybe in his darkest place, when his hair was growing back, maybe it came as a whisper at first, and it said, Samson, it's time for a comeback. Come on, somebody. In the darkest of places, in the worst of the worst situations, the voice of God came and said, it's time for a comeback. The same voice that's speaking to you tonight is saying, it's time for a comeback. I was on my bed. I looked up to heaven, and I said, look at me, God. And he said, I see you. And son, it's time for a comeback. And I said, I will give you everything. I don't want my life anymore. I will lay it down to follow you. Make me your arrow. Shoot me where you'll send me. In that moment, guys, everything changed. Instantly, when I said forgive me of my sin, I was totally set free of every addiction that was over my life. Totally set free. Didn't have a desire for it. Totally set free. Since that time, guys, I was 20, 20 years old, 15 years later. I've been to 14 different countries. I've preached in stadiums, seen over 60,000 people make commitments to Christ. Guys, I see the vision that God has placed over my life, and what he sees is better than anything I ever saw. See, what he said to me is the same thing that was said to Samson. It's the same thing that said to you, it's time for a comeback. And Samson's comeback looked like this. The Philistines were having a party in the temple, and they said, bring out the warrior, let's see him. And Samson came back as his hair had grown. And he asked to be stood between the pillars, and he looked to God, and he said, God, give me strength one more time. And then he said, and let me die with the Philistines. And that day, as he pushed on the pillars, the temple fell, and over 3,000 Philistines died that day. You see, Samson's greatest victory was at the point of his death. And you see, there's a correlation here. 
There's a correlation here because, guys, in order to receive, in order to come back, you have to come through the right source. Jesus is the source of a comeback. Jesus came to give his life. Jesus came with the sole purpose to give his life so that you could come back to your right purpose. So that I could come back to my right purpose. Jesus came so that we all could come back. But he's not going to force us to. He laid down his life so that you would choose to come back. You see, as I said, Samson's greatest victory was at the point of his death. And let me just proclaim this over you tonight. Your greatest victory will be at the point of your death. Not a physical death, but a spiritual death where you choose to die to the things that have held on to your life. Where you choose to lay down your life. Jesus said, unless one would pick up his cross and follow me, he's not worthy of me. The cross was a point of punishment, was a point of death. So Jesus is saying, unless you die to yourself, you cannot follow Christ. You see, my greatest victory came at the point where I died. And according to the word, that when I said yes to Jesus, the old me died. The nature of sin was done away with, and I was made brand new. The word of God says, old things the old things have passed away, and behold, all things, not some things, all things are made new. You see, when I said yes to Jesus, I was made brand new. And now I get to wake up every single day living in victory. Not the victory that I purchased, but the victory that was purchased for me. We said earlier that when we sin, there needs to be punishment. You deserve it. I deserve it. Judgment is for you and it's for me. But Christ came to take the punishment that we deserve upon himself so we could be set free to live the life that he's called us to. It's amazing. It's free. As the guys are coming up right now, I just want us to have just a time of reflection in your own hearts. And just to ask yourself, in fact, everyone in here, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And I just want to give you something to think about. And after they sing, I'll, I'll come back very quickly and then turn it over to Pastor Sammy after I'm done. But in this moment, I feel like God is speaking to hearts in this place. In the overflow rooms, even behind me, I feel like God is speaking to your hearts. And he's declaring that tonight is a night for a comeback. In your life, is tonight your night for a comeback? As these guys sing, I just want you to, just to meditate on that question. Think on that word. Is tonight the night that God is calling me back into my purpose? Is tonight the night that I get vision, godly vision for my life again? You think? Well, again, I want to thank you for viewing our worship service. If you'd like to know how you could come to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, please feel free to contact our church at the address listed. We also encourage you to visit our website. Thank you, and may God bless you.